Let's turn in God's Word now to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And this morning reading verses 23 through 26. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 23 through 30. Excuse me, 23 through 26. That's our passage. We're actually going to start reading in verse 18 to get the context from what we heard last Lord's Day. So, Matthew 9, verse 18. And before we read God's Word and hear the Word preached, uh, let's uh, pray to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful for Your love for us, that You speak to us, and that You grant to us salvation from our sins in Christ, Your Son, alone. We pray for each one here that You would grant faith and repentance unto life. That each one here would be delivered from sin and the guilt of sin and the condemnation of sin. Set Your people free. We plead, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. We'll read through verse 26. These are God's words. While He spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped Him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed Him, and so did His disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind Him and touched the hem of His garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all the land. All that land. Those are God's words. Well, Jesus, as we've heard, has brought healing to many bodies and souls. We began hearing last Lord's Day what we just read in verse 18 of the ruler, the synagogue ruler, or we could say like the elder today of the church. The synagogue ruler, Jairus, he had come, he had come to Jesus, verse 18, and pleaded with the Lord Jesus in faith to come and heal his daughter who was nearing death and going to die to make her alive again. And this was Jairus' only Daughter, we're taught in Luke's Gospel. And Jesus, verse 19, arose and followed him to go to Jairus' daughter to heal her. And you see, friends, Jesus, as we've been learning, is teaching us that yes, He certainly 
uh, has the power, He has the authority to heal bodies, but souls as well. And last Lord's Day, we heard about the woman more particularly w- with the issue of blood, and she, uh, uh, she had as well, uh, we all do, the, the great mark of guilt upon her due to her sin. And we all have that mark as we, a mark of guilt of sin in our bodies because we all suffer many illnesses or diseases ourselves. And the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, and the woman, both alike, suffered the miseries of this life. And Christ receives, we learned, all kinds of sinners who come by faith unto him. And he receives them at all times. But we even saw He receives the worst of sinners. There's no sinner too sinful to come to Jesus that He will refuse. He receives every one of them. The first point this morning as we now look more back to Jairus and his daughter. The first point this morning, the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ. Jairus is he's full of sorrow. This is his only daughter. She's 12 years old. She's on the doorstep of death. So guaranteed that she was going to die, at least in the man's perspective. There was no question she was going to die very soon. That one gospel says that she was dead. Even as it does here. And he's now on his way back home with the Lord. Jairus is on his way back home with the Lord Jesus, following him in verse 20 through 22. We heard when Jesus said to the woman who had the issue with blood, when she touched his garment in faith, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And Jairus sees a woman in that woman who was healed. He sees a woman who depends upon Christ by faith. And he sees the results of someone who exercises faith in Jesus. And she was healed. And so we first learn that, friends, you can take courage when you see fellow sinners in possession of joy and peace and healing and believing in Christ, you can take joy. Self-righteous sinners will see nothing in the same thing. They will see nothing uh, in the pleading of others, uh, even uh, in the speaking about, as Jesus does, the ability, His ability, the power and the authority of Christ to save and when he, uh, what He has done for them. In the parable of the prodigal son, it's the same thing. Sinners will see what uh, joy, sinners will see what joy there is in the son returning to his father and his father's love for him. That never ceased. But the older brother, the self-righteous brother, the prideful brother, people like that, will be irritated when they see such joy. They'll be irritated when there's others who are rejoicing over someone else 
whom the Lord has done such great work in by His grace, and saving them, delivering them from their sins by His grace. Such people see no need, like the older brother. Such people see no need for the great physician in their life, and healing of their own souls from sin, and the guilt of sin, and the miseries that, that that sin brings. Those who have had their hearts regenerated, those who have been convicted of their sins have been granted to see by God's grace the need of salvation in Jesus Christ alone because of their own sinfulness, because of their own guilt before God. Is it not a great encouragement to such like that who's been saved? Saved from their sin in Christ to see others who have been shown the grace of God too in the same way. The Savior who received them will receive others also. The, the Savior who saved you will save others also. And that all who come to Him by faith for salvation, turning from their sins, will be received by Christ too. Friends, we're to encourage one another in Christ's ability to save. Build each other up in the assurance of His grace and His dealing with sinners. Don't be slow in spreading uh, and speaking of the good things that Christ has done and has done for His people. We are to praise the Lord and proclaim what the Lord has done for the good of an encouragement of all around us. For His ability to save to the utmost those who come to God through Him. And He receives all who come to Him in that way, by faith. And then we're to encourage fellow sinners in the world to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that there is found in Him true joy and true hope. We're to urge others to believe on Christ, that He who is the very uh, Prince and Savior, a Mediator King who grants repentance and forgiveness of sins, we are to call all to come unto Him. And so, He teaches us, He calls us, He commands us, Repent ye therefore, and believe. And that's the grace of Christ. Secondly, believe on Christ. Believe on Christ. In Mark's Gospel, while Jesus was speaking to the woman who had the issue with blood in in our passage, verse 22, in Mark's Gospel it says this, While He yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. So the, the, the synagogue ruler Jairus has come to Jesus in pleading, My daughter is on death's doorstep. She's about to die. She's going to die. Please come and heal her. And Jesus is going. And while he, there's an interruption, the woman touches the, the garment of Jesus and He heals her. And He's speaking to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And while, he's yet, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the Master, Jesus, any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. 
She died, friends. His only daughter died. Twelve-year-old daughter died. And the servants from Jairus' house said what? Why troublest thou the master any further? Right? It's all over. She's dead. She's passed. It's over. A 12-year-old covenant daughter, right? A covenant princess, as we prayed. Dead. Trouble not Jesus anymore about her. Jesus responded in Mark 5 and said to Jairus, Be not afraid, only believe. Jesus, friends, is asking Jairus to believe in something that at the current time in the Gospels had not yet happened in his lifetime, in Jairus' lifetime. Jesus raising up someone from the dead. Something unheard of. You look at John's Gospel and we see all the signs and the wonders Jesus did. And when we preached through John's Gospel a long time ago, they were often, those miracles are often compared to what Moses did. Because the Jews are always comparing Jesus to Moses. Moses did many signs and wonders as God worked through him that, that Jesus did similar signs too, just similar to Moses, because Moses was pointing to Jesus. But there were two that Moses never did. The one Moses never did was that he never raised up anyone from the dead. Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. He had healed the man sick of palsy. He healed even the two men demon-possessed, casting out the demons. He healed the woman, verses 20-22, through 22, had the issue with blood, no longer bleeding. He had just heard what Jesus said, seen what Jesus did. But could Jesus raise His daughter from the dead unto life? He doesn't know anything about that. Never heard of that. And you say, what an encouragement, friends, to great sinners. That's what that is. What an encouragement to great sinners. Be not afraid, only believe. Because you say in your, in your heart, I am too great of a sinner. And you believe that you're an extreme case compared to everyone else, right? You look at everyone else, the paralyzed man, the woman with the issue of blood, even a greater case, two men demon possessed, and the many the one with the fever, that's really low, right, on the totem pole. But I'm an extreme case. My daughter is dead. Dead. No longer having having breath. Uh, she, her heart's no longer beating. And so you might believe, I'm an extreme case compared to everyone else. And it may be that you are an extreme case. You believe that you're an extreme case and your sins are gravely bad or wicked. You say to yourself, He saved others. But can He really save me? And take my guilt away before God? You feel like He could never do that. He could never forgive me of my sins. Don't you know what my sins are? They're heinous. Jairus was seeking something that Jesus had not done 
now seeking something that Jesus had never done on the earth. That his daughter would be raised up to life from the dead. He was asking before, in verse 18, Jesus, come heal my daughter who's about to die. But now she's dead. And Christ says to him, Be not afraid, only believe. Jairus is now seeking a display of Christ's power that went beyond what had been seen by men thus far. Be not afraid, only believe. Because Christ receives and saves the extreme cases too, friends. The greatest of sinners, the worst of sinners, the ones you even think you would never that he would never save, like you're reading through the book of Acts. He'll never, for the first time, he'll never save Saul of Tarsus, right? He's a persecutor of Christ. He's a persecutor of the church. He's never going to save Saul of Tarsus. And yet he saved him, didn't he? Jesus says to the greatest, most wicked and evil and wretched sinners, come unto me and I will give you rest. And so now, how should you reason? How should you reason? If Christ invites the most, uh, the worst of sinners to come unto Him, promising to give them rest, then there is no one too sinful that He will not receive. Rather, He says, be not afraid, only believe. Don't even, be, don't even be afraid of yourself. Just believe. That's what you should do because He commands it. You are not too sinful to be received by Him. If you come to Him, only come. Come now. Don't fear, but believe on Him. And He will receive you and not cast you out. Why? Because Jesus is a great Savior. He's a great Savior. He's a greater Savior than you could ever imagine or conceive of. And He was born. He has borne the wrath of God upon Himself. All of it. For those who He died for. Upon sin. And God through Him has determined to show Himself a God of great mercy. Just as we read in the call to worship. And maybe you can't wrap your mind around that, but He's saying here, never mind what you can grasp with your mind, even your heart. Don't worry about that. Fear not, only believe. Yet not an ignorant, blind faith. You believe on Christ. Christ to save you because He is the substitute of sinners because He died there on the cross for the sins of all who believe on Him. Even the greatest of sinners. Even the most heinous of sinners. And you say, no one would ever do that. Christ did. Because of God's eternal love for His people, uh, for all who believe on Him, will have everlasting life, right? He promised that. He does not lie. He's promised and He's always faithful. He keeps all of His promises. You find nothing that He has promised, that He has gone back on and said, no, I'm not going to do that. 
He's never broken one of His promises. He does not lie. He is the truth. And so that you all can have confidence and hope that He will indeed receive you if you only believe. Even you. To the praise of the glory of His grace and the joy to all of His bride. And so take courage then and come unto Him with all your sins. Come to Christ with those sins that you believe are more heinous and and wicked than others around you. Come to Jesus with those and He'll most certainly and definitely receive you if you come to Him with those sins. Grieving over those sins with faith in Him. Because our God in Christ delights in mercy. Not giving you what you deserve. He loves delighting in mercy. And He receives great sinners who cast all their hope upon Him. Verse 23, it says, And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed Him to scorn. Jairus in that day in Jewish culture. Jairus was an important man, uh, a ruler of the synagogue. He was well respected. This is why there there are so many present. There are professional mourners there, as they had in that day. Some musicians were there playing somber, lament type music. And so great lamentation was occurring. Mourning, grieving. But notice how it is just an act. Quickly, the mood changes when Jesus came and spoke his word. It turned to mockery and scorn. Even in front of Jairus, the father when his daughter has just died. And they turn to mocking, scorn, and laughter. If these people were truly sincere in their grief and sympathy for him, for the family, would they have laughed to scorn? The Lord Jesus and Jairus' presence? Absolutely not, but they did. They discouraged the man. By doing this, laughing Jesus to scorn, they discouraged Jairus from trusting in Christ. And so it is with the Gospel, friends. The world will not encourage you to trust in Christ. They regard the content of the Gospel as what? First Corinthians 1, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews as stumbling block. And there they are as a stumbling block to Jairus. And unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The world sees no need of Christ. They can't even have interest in His power to save when they see no need of being saved. They regard it as foolishness to believe. 
And they will counsel you. They'll say to you, that's stupid to believe on Christ. Don't get involved with those people who follow Christ. You will only surround yourself with people who are so deluded and are living in a fantasy world. And they'll say, it'll all be right in the end. Everything's going to work out. But the truth is, it will not, friends, for them. You look around today at society and everything, it seems, is set against Christ, which is just what God promised would be true in Genesis 3.15. The hostility of the world against Christ and His people. Everything seems contrary to Christianity. True Christianity. The view of the universe, science, man, human nature, crime, war, politics, life, death, everything is spoken of against Christ in this world. You will not get any encouragement if you have worldly friends toward Christ. From them. Do worldly friends, even worldly family, do they truly have your best interests in their mind and their hearts? They don't even know the Christian's highest interest. They don't care themselves about their own highest interests. They don't care about, they don't see that their highest interests revolves around preparing for the life to come just as we heard in Ecclesiastes 11. And if they don't see that for themselves, how will they see it for you when you're in distress and great affliction and mourning and grieving? There may be some sympathy from these people, but they had no idea how to really help but encourage Jairus to what he truly needed. And what he truly needed was faith in Jesus Christ. And continued faith in Jesus Christ. And coming to Christ, you will have to go against the world, therefore. Against your non-Christian friends. You may lose their friendship. But isn't it worth it, friends? Would you rather lose eternity and blessing and joy forever in Christ, lose Christ Himself, or lose a few friends on earth for a time? Eternity is greater, isn't it? And in a church you'll make way greater friends. Mark 8, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? That includes friends and family members. If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what shall it profit a man? What will it matter if everyone around you thinks you're the best and they, they, they appear to love you if you are damned for all eternity? Is not forgiveness of sins greater than bearing the guilt of your sins forever? Is not justification greater than condemnation? Peace with God? Greater instead of enmity with God? Communion with God instead of that fearful expectation of judgment? Heaven forever instead of hell forever? 
Never mind what your family, your relatives say. Their natural affection is worth little, if they're of the world, is worth little compared to the eternal glory that is found in Christ Jesus. Only Christ can deliver you on your dying day. Will it comfort your soul that you retained well your ungodly relationships and that everyone liked you? And everybody thought you were a decent human being? They thought you were balanced, that you avoided religious extremes? They were some of them fine with your going to church, but you never spoke about it and called. You never called anyone to believe on Christ? Will that comfort you on your dying day? And so children and youth consider death and judgment today. Will that comfort your heart on the day that you die? It's the knowledge of Christ and His salvation that will comfort you. Jesus Christ can deliver you from the eternity of condemnation and hell. And well-meaning friends and families of the world cannot. They can't take your sins away. They cannot take your guilt away. They cannot take your condemnation away. But Christ can take all of it away. For He received it upon Himself at the cross. He bore the guilt of sin. And that's why He came into the world. Because He eternally loves you. To save you from sinners by fulfilling all righteousness. By bearing all the wrath you deserve. By bearing all the judgment that you deserve from God. He suffered and died. And so you see Him as all and your only hope. Say to your soul, Christian. Say to your soul, friends. Say to your soul, children. Children, say to your soul, I need Christ. Desire Christ, soul. Say, I will have Christ no matter what it costs me. Jesus goes over that. It may cost you father and mother and sister and brother, wife, husband. No matter what others think, I will have Christ. So, it says they laughed him to scorn. That's a strong phrase. They laughed at Christ Jesus to his face with a mocking laugh, not like a joyful laugh. If men did that when he was on the earth, in this world, don't be surprised if they, there are those who, uh, who are his who are laughed at to scorn by those of the world today. But what is that compared to having Christ in eternal life and in a place in glory forever with Him? Jesus was preaching the Gospel of the King, John 6, and the people replied, This is a hard saying. This is a sharp saying. Who can hear it? And from that day, it says, many of His disciples, many who were following Him, went back and walked no more with Him. And then said Jesus to the twelve, He asked the question, Will ye also go away? And Jesus 
questioning that was not a, a pondering he had, but an anticipation and an encouragement to them that they would not go away. And their response was exactly what he knew was the response. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where else could we go? Friends, there's only Christ to whom you must go. For He has the words of eternal life. He can save alone and deliver you from your sins. It's always worth having Christ no matter what anyone or anyone else thinks or says or does. Jesus Christ never told us that we can have Him and the friendship of the world at the same time. He told us the exact opposite. What did He say? He said, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so, friends, you're called to believe on Christ. Believe on Christ. The third point then, Christ's power to save. Christ's power to save. Verse 25, it says, But when the people were put forth, He went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Verse 24, you go back, verse 24, end of verse 24, Jesus said, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. We've covered in Christ's dealings before, uh, even here with the man Jairus the father, showing us all that Christ receives all sinners who come, to, who come by faith to Him. But here He deals with the daughter. The young 12-year-old daughter. And here we see Christ's sovereignty, and that's His divinity. He says that she is not dead, but sleepeth. Why did He say that she sleepeth? Wasn't she really dead? Kids, wasn't she really dead? Yes, she was really dead. She was no longer breathing. Her heart was no longer beating. She was dead. Dead. Cold. Children don't understand that perhaps, but when a body dies, your body dies, it will lose all the heat. It will be really cold. It will lose color. And be very pale. She was dead. In John chapter 11, speaking of Lazarus, similar language that is there used. He was very much dead, wasn't he? He was placed in the tomb. He had the linen wrappings around his body because he had been buried in the tomb. And it says of him, about Jesus. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then his disciples, they're confused. Then his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Right? He shall be fine. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep, like taking a nap. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
When Jesus says uh, here that the maid is not dead but sleepeth, it's not saying that she's taking a nap, that she's resting in her bed. It's not saying even that she's in a coma, that she can't wake up because of some medical condition. But He calls it sleeping, even though she's dead. He calls it sleeping because it's not to be permanent. It's not going to be permanent. It's not going to be long-lasting. It was His purpose to raise her from the dead, just as He did later, after this point, with Lazarus. And so there's a sense that all the bodies of the bride of Christ that rest in the graves, being still united to Christ like our catechism says, are doing just that. They're resting. They're sleeping. Are they dead? Yes, they're dead. Because Christ will raise those bodies back up again unto new glorified bodies forever. Jesus is saying the, in the immediate situation, she's not going to stay dead. Jesus, by His Spirit, is able to quicken those who are spiritually dead. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2. Even so, the Lord has given unto Christ to quicken whomsoever He will to give life to whom He pleases. The Lord Jesus Christ quickens sinners according to His sovereign good pleasure of God's will by sending the Holy Spirit to quicken the heart. The Spirit of Christ. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, dead, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together with Him. If you're a Christian, you speak the gospel and the grace of Christ to those of the world. And it means nothing to them oftentimes. It means nothing to them. You've spoken to a family member, a friend, a neighbor, they're spiritually dead, and you speak to them of whom your soul loves above all others. And they have not even the slightest interest or clue of what you're talking about. They don't even have a little understanding of Him. But Christ can give life. He quickens. He makes alive sinners. For you, He quickeneth. Christian. He can cause the ones who could not care less about what you're testifying about, what you're talking about, about Him, uh, about con- concerning salvation in Christ, He can make even them all alert and desirous of Him and work in them faith. Their skepticism can be replaced by Him, by the Spirit of Christ with believing. He can change the desires, the affections, the wills, everything, even in the most heinous of sinners. Do you believe that, Christian? Then call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ and never stop doing that. You testify and testify and there's no life in them. What must you do? Do you need to change your method, your technique, the words you're speaking about? Not if you're speaking God's Word. No, they're spiritually dead. Yeah, that's what the church often tries to do. They change the method because people aren't listening. People are not getting it. They're not believing, and so they change the method. But we don't need to change the method. We just need to follow the method God gives us. 
Rather, friends, we're to do what? We're to cry out to the Lord. Lord, show mercy to these people. And send your Holy Spirit that Christ might save them from their sins. The reason they don't see the greatness of Christ that you see, and the reason they don't listen to the words you speak about Christ from His Word, whom you believe in and whom you love, the problem is because the Lord had not yet, has not yet quickened them, has not yet made them alive like He has quickened and made you alive, friends. Otherwise, they'd be like you. And if He didn't do that in you, then you'd be like them. If the grace of the Lord hadn't been granted to you, the Spirit hadn't been sent upon you, then you'd be just as disinterested as they are. It's only by the grace of God that we are who we are, Christians. Dead in sins as they are, is what we would have been if the Spirit wasn't sent. Bring them, friends, to the Lord Jesus nonetheless. Praying much for them. To the only one who can quicken sinners and make them alive in Christ. It's Christ who raised this 12-year-old covenant daughter up from the dead. How wonderful the sight must have been to be there, especially for Jairus and his wife, mother of the daughter. Who that has seen the dead? Some of, uh, most of your children probably haven't seen a dead body unless you were to a funeral, which your parents should take you to and not remove you from. So you can see it. You can see the dead, lifeless body. Who has seen the dead can forget the stillness and the, the, the silence, uh, the coldness when breath has left the body? Who can forget the awful feeling that a mighty change has taken place, a mighty gulf has been placed between ourselves and the departed one? Even if you're there before the funeral, and so probably a family member, and you smell them. They smell of death. Who can forget that? But behold, one theologian says, Behold, our Lord goes to where the dead lies. He calls the Spirit back to its earthly tabernacle. The pulse once more beats. The eyes once more see. The breath uh, comes once again. And goes out. The ruler's daughter is once more alive. Restored to her father and her mother. And this was Christ's omnipotence, His almighty power. It's all an infinite power and deed to save. None could have done that but He who first created man and bodies. And has all the power in heaven and on earth. Friends, the, the more clearly we see Christ's power, the more likely we are to realize the peace of the gospel. Our hearts may be weak. The world may uh, be difficult, a difficult journey to go through. Our faith uh, may seem too small to carry us to glory. But take courage. When we think of, on Jesus and let us uh, not be cast down, think upon Him. Almighty in power to raise up the dead to life. 
If He can do that with the daughter, He can certainly do it with you, even when your body's in the grave and your body awaits resurrection. Greater is He that is for us than all that are against us. Our Savior can raise the dead. Our Savior is almighty in power. You are called to believe on Him. And He will save you of all your sins, even the most heinous and wretched sins. And He will receive you for His sake unto glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we're thankful for sending Your Son and that now He reigns on high exalted as our Mediator and King. Gracious Father, we plead that You would turn each of our hearts today to consider and to live our lives in accordance with death and judgment, even of our children, that they would do so. That all of our hearts would be quickened, made alive unto Christ, grant us peace and reconciliation with You, because our sins, our guilt are too great, but not too great for You. And Christ to cover our sins, even a multitude of transgressions, by His blood. And so cover us and wash us clean. And grant us life in Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.